to the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? If you're drowning and I throw you a life jacket, would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show them a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Welcome to Bates, Dyson, Jackson. Tomorrow, Mr. Weber on the board. SP Futures up 2. As they Futures up 43. We're trying to bounce back. We had a actually a step back in the market yesterday, which has been uh, pretty rare lately, because all we've seen to do is go straight up. And uh, maybe today we'll go straight up again. We'll see. Blue, how are you, buddy? Good morning, sir. I'm uh, fighting a cold, so I'm going to sound uh, a little froggy this morning. Are you winning the fight? Uh, not so far, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the uh, when the traders had a, a cold, they would go down to the series and see Franny for the cure. Well, traders are always looking for an excuse to drink, so I'm not <laughs> surprised that the cure for a cold was alcohol. The cure for depression is alcohol. The cure for a cut finger is alcohol. Pretty much everything is alcohol, right? Sounds so, right to me. So you're not even going to ask what the cure. You're not even going to ask what the cure was. It was very scientific. My guess is yeah, some sort uh, of hot toddy. Yeah, uh, very hot yeah. tea, fresh lemon yeah, I, s- squeezed in there, honey, and a big chunk of rack and rye. There you go. Yeah, I uh, I crawl I crawl into bed drinking uh, lots of fluids and uh, basically trying to stay warm and. Uh, Get get through it till the chills pass, and that's basically what I was doing last night. Well, you'll you'll fight through, bud. We we always do, and I guess it makes it stronger. Who knows? That's right. That's the way to that's the way to look at it. Um, I, so I got a, I got a list of things to talk about, and uh, some most of them sports related. But I thought I thought I would lead in just with the Final Four and just ask, you know, where's the Big Ten? Uh, they're not there. No. They're not, and, uh, you know, a lot of people are concerned about that. Uh, the last time they had two teams in the Final Four was, I think, 2015, either 2015 or 2016. They had Michigan State and Wisconsin in. Uh, and then they've had, uh, and then, then, then Michigan had a, a couple of runs in a row, uh, maybe two, two or three runs out of four years or something like that where they were in the actual title game. Uh, but the last two years specifically, the Big Ten has gotten the most teams in the tournament out of any conference by far, uh, and then haven't had anyone, you know, this year no one got yeah. past the Sweet 16, and last year no one got past the, the Elite Eight. And I, my answer to that is, is the Big Ten is the only Power Five that doesn't have any blue blood schools that consistently go. So they need, yeah, that, you know, they don't. Well, I, I always think of Michigan State, Maddie. I mean, I, I, have a, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Tom Izzo. Um, he's a fantastic coach, and they they always seem to make you know to, to give people fits once they get into the tournament. Now they don't they don't get that deep, but but that that's a good basketball team, no doubt about it. And they they were up five with well, like four or five minutes to go against Duke uh, in the round of thirty two, as you remember, and could have easily won that game. And then Duke went on a spectacular run and actually turned kind of turned their whole tournament around from that point and pl- played at a really high level ever since. But, um, but yeah, I, I think people forget that the Big Ten doesn't have, you know, it's not like the ACC or the SEC or these other schools that their, their middle or bottom tier teams are in the Final Four. 
it's the same teams over and over again. It's Duke and North Carolina, it's Kansas, it's Villanova, it's UCLA. And, and then you can throw in Kentucky, you know, here and there. That's it. And very rarely are you getting, you know, a mid, mid-tier school that's in the Final Four from these other conferences, but they love talking crap about the Big Ten because the Big Ten doesn't have anyone in. Well, the Big Ten, it's all those second-tier schools. They don't have a Duke or a North Carolina or a Kentucky or a UCLA or a Kansas that is consistently a top-five program. Because every rough call ever. Well, I won't even get into that, but... Uh, so they need a school to, to step up and have a magical year to make the Final Four, and it just hasn't happened the last couple of years, uh, especially since Beeline retired and Michigan, you know, because th- they were consistently up there. Uh, and Michigan, then I, I consider, I consider, yeah, I consider Michigan State and Michigan to be to be two pretty pretty good programs. They're very and, good and programs. I, no know, when, I was, when I was a raving Duke fan back in the eighties and nineties, when I was closer to having gone to the school. I mean, I mean, I, I considered the games against Michigan to be every bit as crucial as the games against North Carolina. Well, they they were, and and Michigan and Michigan State are both very good programs, but they're they're but no one would put them on the same plane as Kansas, where they're consistently top five. I mean, they'll they'll have a couple good years and then they'll take a step back. And Izzo's had definitely had Michigan State at a, at a high level, but I still wouldn't put them in the same category as as Duke, that's winning you know national championships every five years. Uh, yeah. so, you know, it's just a little bit different. And then, then you had Bo Ryan retire. So Wisconsin had the couple really good runs and you had John Beeline leave. And those two programs are not the same as far as final four, uh, capability. So yeah, is, I, is I, I really it, think that's coaching? why. Is it, is it coaching? Is it recruiting? Well, I'm sorry. Coaching is, is recruiting in, in college. Is it, is it just their, their inability to get, you know, to get good coaches, um, I, I, or, or to attract, <clears throat> To attract good players, I mean, heaven's sakes, there's not a. I, I don't look at Kansas as as really you know a go-to destination if you're a if you're a you know a top ten basketball player in high school. And yet, you know those kids those kids, you know every year he's got he's got a bunch of well, stars. The kid from uh, the kid on the kid on Iowa State that. Damn near single-handedly beat Wisconsin and was a transfer from Minnesota. So I don't, I don't know if they're... Well, Kansas is the winningest program of all time. They have more wins than right. anyone in the history of college basketball. They're, they're consistently a top-five recruiting class in the country. And their coach is also on the FBI list for cheating. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, there's no doubt that they're... You know, the, I don't know if the Big Ten... I'm not going to say the Big Ten has higher standards when it comes to recruiting, but the Big Ten has higher standards when it comes to recruiting compared to the Kentuckys and the Kansases. And compared the, to Duke these days. Yeah, right. Well, well even, even, even North Carolina. I mean, I mean, North Carolina should have had, should have forfeited three, three titles. Right. That they won, they won under Roy Williams because they were, they were playing with players who had benefited from a, an academic program that was set up to give them A's. So that they would remain academically eligible, and and you know the NC2A said, yeah, we're not going to screw one of our blue blood blue blood programs. Exactly. So I, I've always I've always looked. I, I think it's remarkable that, that Duke has gone, um, you know, forty some odd years without without a major scandal. They they've walked on the edge a few times. They've had players that have done some stupid stuff, but um, you know, Shashevsky has has been been able to. To keep his skirts, you know, for the most part clean. Now, I, I am as, as much as I admire the guy in terms of what he, what he did at the school, and I, I was there when they were calling for his job. The, the boosters were calling, you know, calling on the athletic director to fire him. Um, I, I'm not a fan of this farewell tour. 
I, I much prefer a departure the way Williams did it, you know, at the end of the season, you know, when everything's done. You, you tell people, yep, I'm, I'm just old. that was my last year, rather than this, you know, ongoing goodbye tour where, you know, people given presents and all that other stupid stuff. I, I think that's I think that's beneath him and, and I I think it's silly. Well but there's no doubt he's I'm, got an ego. <laughs> I mean he's got oh, the, yeah. the biggest oh, no. ego yeah, of all time. I don't know any of these coaches that don't. Right. But right. but I thought this I thought this part of it was was objectionable. Um what I think is really amazing is that and, and Maddie you are exactly correct. This was a team that I think and he his his farewell tour put a ton of pressure on those kids, and and this was a team that that looked like it simply could not handle the distractions of oh my god you know Coach K's last appearance at Cameron you guys have to look really good and blah 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 rather than going on just you know playing basketball for yourselves, and it it looks like they've they've cracked that that code and I don't. I I think you're exactly right. I think the last four minutes against Michigan State, everybody kind of looked around and said, "Oh, that that's the Duke team that we we were looking for." And then, you know, to blow through Texas Tech and Arkansas, two of the best defensive teams in the country, with very athletic people, and and you know, basically the uh, you know, I, I keep keep it stay in the game with Texas Tech, and then and then ultimately prevail, and then effectively control the entire game against Arkansas. Uh, very impressive. I, I hope they can do it again against North Carolina. I would uh, we'll say see. I would say if they if if Duke plays the way they played against Arkansas, that they should beat anyone that's left in the field. That said, if North Carolina plays the way they've been playing the last couple of games, yep. they could beat anyone. And if Kansas plays the way they played in the second half against Miami, that was the best basketball I've seen in the whole tournament. The way they yes. put that that twenty minute period, they they kind of clunked through the first half, were down six, and then the second half, the way they played on both sides of the ball, I don't think anyone's beating them if they play at that level. So, it, as fun as the upsets are in the NCAA tournament, it's it kind of works out great when you have you know four blue blood programs at the end because you're going to see the best players on the court. Well, the, uh, yeah, I mean, the depth of these teams. It's a pretty good basketball. The depth of these teams is, is dramatic. I mean, you're looking at, I mean, how many McDonald's All Americans in the last ten years has Duke had versus oh, it's Notre it's, Dame uh, versus you know, oh, I mean, yeah. it's no coincidence that Duke wins with because they have the best players. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and that's no, that's I, college coaching is getting the best players. Well, but you got to get a lot of them. They only had the real good team a couple of years ago and the one kid goes to the Bulls and now they you know they're just okay. Yeah, that's true. Cuz Illinois okay. can't consistently do that year after year. They can they can occasionally land a, a big time recruit and then maybe develop a couple guys that that came out of nowhere and then maybe they get a transfer and all of a sudden wow, they have a really good team for one year, maybe two years. And that's typically how it is in the Big 10. But Kansas and Duke and UCLA and Kentucky, they just reload every year. And so well, this transfer portal I think is going to really change basketball. You look at these teams, Iowa State who was arguably a really good team, they had five transfers. The one kid from Minnesota. Iowa State won two games last year. They yeah, they, yeah, they added I mean. they added like twelve transfers. Well, I mean five were starting. Right. right. No, I think they, yeah. their top twelve guys were transfers. They they won two games last year. Fired the well, coach. How do you dump the other guys? Fired the coach, and so everyone tra- everyone left. Oh, okay. They fired the coach. New coach came in and said, "Wow, I got a roster of nobody." I better get in the transfer portal because I I I'm not going to get 12 good freshmen to go to Iowa State. So he, he, to his credit, he got 10 or 12 transfers from all over the country. They're starting five, all played at different schools the year before, 
And uh, he turned a two-win team, the worst team in school history, into a Sweet 16 team in the very next season. It, it's, it was remarkable. I think a lot of it has, I mean, the, uh, the Loyola situation of a few years ago, where you get, you get one kid, I think these guys all know each other. They got all these camps and stuff. And all of a sudden you get one or two guys at a place and somebody else is going, hey, I'm not playing here. If I go play with those two guys, we, gotta, we might have a team. And all of a sudden everybody rushes over there. I mean, well, he's, he's, it, what, what I find so unusual is that, you know, this, this one and done format that, that has developed really hurts the, the development of the, of these guys. And, and I'm, and, and really hurts the development of their teams. I, one of the things that I loved about, about the Duke teams of the, the late 80s and, and early to mid 90s is that, you know, they had people there for three and four years. And, and so you got to see, you got to see these guys get better. And, and watch them grow and, and watch, you know, watch them actually benefit from the, from the coaching. I mean, Krzyzewski has had to completely rejigger his coaching style to accommodate this. And, and I, again, I think that, uh, I think that's a testament to his, his ability, uh, notwithstanding, you know, whatever else you, you think about it. What was, uh, Russell was talking yesterday, I don't know if you guys, I forget the name of the program, but, I mean, uh, I brought up the subject as Kevin, Kevin was saying at the, uh, as much as, you know, the undergrads have these alleged rules where there's a, you have to be progressing toward a degree and all this kind of crap. He said, the grad transfers, there's none of that. <clears throat> they don't, they don't have to do anything. <laughs> I mean, they already got their degree. They could just go to practice, go to lunch, uh, you know, hang out. Maybe, maybe they'll take a class. Maybe they won't. I mean, it's, uh, and what did, what did Russell say that they got some kind of a degree where the, the original rule was you could only transfer, uh, well, if the, if the other school was going to keep you as a, Scholarship. I guess you had to go someplace, but you only transfer if the other place had a, uh, a graduate program that that your school didn't have, right? Well, obviously, yes, that's correct. I mean, I mean, come on, you transfer from Ohio State to Wisconsin. Na- name me a, a graduate program that Ohio State doesn't have or Wisconsin. And so Russell said they they did something in the business school. It was almost like a like a mini executive program or something that nobody else offered for, just sure. for the no, guys no, who wanted no, to transfer in. No, it's, yeah, it's exactly, that's exactly what you, you end up doing. You end up tailoring. I mean, it's, it's all, gee, this, you know, you and I've had this discussion many times. This is all window dressing to comply with rules. And, and really the, the first thing, when these rules go into effect, the first thing that happens is every, every athletic director looks around and goes, how can I circumvent this? Oh sure, and, and that that's what that's what's happening, which which leads me to my next to my next topic. For some inexplicable reason, the NFL has now directed its teams to hire a minority or a woman as an assistant offensive coordinator, or I believe it's next year, starting next year, um, and and they have to be a person of color. Or they have to be a woman. How's that even legal? It, I'm, I'm not, well, so, so here's how this works, and I think this is how they're getting around Title VII. I don't think it's legal, and I, I think a very, a very straightforward challenge will get mounted here reasonably, reasonably soon. But, so the league is paying the salaries of these people. They are not employed by, um, by the clubs. So they, they literally are, you know, being compensated by the by the NFL uh, out of uh, out of New York, so they they are on these they are on these rosters <clears throat> as kind of interns, but they're not they're not um, really in, in the in the kind of competitive 
cycle that uh, you know that, that the rest of the, of the coaches are. So if if I'm if I'm like a, a, a backs coach or if I'm a wide receivers coach, and and in comes I, I mean this, this this virtually happened in Denver. In comes the uh, daughter of the owner, white female, who gets hired into this offensive coordinator position because she <laughs> kind of likes football. You know, she watches football on Sunday, and she comes in. That satisfies that that position. And if if you're a wide receivers coach, you're looking around going, I'm I'm not on the offensive coordinator track anymore because they've put this person in ahead of me, even though she's not technically an employee of the team. So Title Seven may or may not apply. I'm sure their lawyers have, have looked at this, but I don't I don't understand how you introduce this kind of, of decision making into your organization <coughs> excuse me into, into your organization and and don't open up the door for all kinds of racial challenges and and so I, I just I think it's it's crazy it's it's totally you know outside the scope of what you would normally tell an employer in terms of hiring you know you, you tell them you don't care about race you don't look for race if race is a motivating factor in your decision, then you violate the law. Not anymore. Well, you know, well you race gotta, is the motivating factor. That's exactly decision. right. Well, it's, I mean, it's it, it's very it's it, it's bizarre world. I mean, you have, you have a president who may not, you know, he could very well have said, uh, you know, he just should have just he should have just picked this lady. She seems very qualified, whatever. But he shouldn't have said, "I'm only I'm only looking at African American women." What is that? Eight oh, percent of the population. It, I mean, it absolutely it absolutely cheapens her. I mean, I mean, she's now, yeah, you know, she's she's an affirmative action baby. Yeah. I mean, I mean, she is. How, how do you, and and you know you don't have to. A, a lot of times when you you look at these hires and you wonder, but you don't have to wonder about this. It's like Kamala Harris. You know, she's an affirmative action baby. That that's that's the only reason she's in. Well, that I job. happen to think that it was a bad thing to do to this lady because. Absolutely. I think. I mean, what if, what if, what if somebody was dumb enough to be president and said, "I'm only going to pick uh, an, an over fifty-five guy, half Irish, half Italian from the South Side," and then all of a sudden I get picked? Well, what does that say? <laughs> what, what, what was the gene pool down to five people? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, well, I, I mean, I mean, I just, I think, I don't understand the, I don't understand the NFL's motivation to the extent that they they're saying, you know, we need. We need more black coaches because I think what they're doing is they're they're equating um, they're equating black participation or African American participation at the player level with African American participation at the coaching level and and you guys know that doesn't work. There are there are lots of guys who were lousy players who didn't make it out of college who turned into fantastic coaches. Never never played pro ball, but but turned into turned into fantastic coaches. Um, and and I don't. I just. I, I, this is just another marker for the NFL where I, I look at Goodell and, and ask him, "What are you doing, Roger? You know, th- this is this is just a, a lousy decision, and it potentially opens you up to some real messy charges. This Flores lawsuit out of Miami, I, I don't think is going to go anywhere. But um, the you know, the, the, if you if you think that was a problem. Wait till, wait till you get guys suing, you know, white coaches or male coaches suing, and and there's the email from from the uh, you know the owner 
saying, well, we got to get a black guy in here, or we got to get a we got to get a woman in here. We don't have any we don't have, we don't have enough women on the on the coaching sidelines. It it's astounding, and and I'm I I you know and by the way, putting women on the sidelines or this idea that we're gonna we're gonna open it up to women to women coaches again undercuts the whole rationale that the NFL seems to be pushing, which is that you know because we have lots of African Americans participating as players. Then, then there should be a commensurate number of coaches like that. Well, none of these women are players. You know, they've never, they're, not, they're not playing at a high level. They're not playing collegiate football, and, and none of them are going to be. None of them are going to be are going to be uh, coming in with playing experience. So, so the rationale of of the idea that you have to have playing experience and that should be a marker for what our our coaching workforce looks like just goes completely out the window. Well, we also have generations of people. And again, it says, you know, it, it, where a lot of really good coaches, their dad was a high school coach, their uncle was, or some, it's been in the, it's been in the blood from, since the time they were 10. You know, it's a, I'm not saying that's a prerequisite, but there are people that are like that. And, you know, look, I mean, look at women's basketball. I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me that the women are, are terrific at announcing, or, and, and it seems to me the refereeing is every bit as good, uh, because there's a lot of really good women's basketball players that know the fundamentals of the game. They know the game as well as the guys do. So it doesn't surprise me that 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 when when all of a sudden a big deal we're having women referees. If two years later nobody nobody cared, they were just as good, right? And same way the uh-huh. women announcers. Yes, yes. As long as as long as the performance is there, that that's fine. My my point is, as I said earlier, to the extent the NFL looks at its workforce and says we should have a we should have more black coaches because we've got so many black players. You know, and there's they're, they're looking for a correlation, or they're manufacturing a correlation between being a player and being a coach. The push to put women into those positions throws that out the window. Well, yeah, because there, there is no women's there football. Are no there. Women players. Yeah. there are no women players in major college football. There are no women players. In, I mean, there are women players in high school that I think are kickers. That's the most I've, I've seen. But uh, again, that's fine. That doesn't that doesn't mean that. You know, women can't understand a passing tree or, or or offensive system or whatever. But it just it just undercuts it just undercuts the rationale that the NFL is using for this affirmative action program. But I don't I don't think they uh, I don't think they care. Which which leads me into my next topic, and I know we're getting close to the uh, commercial break. But have you guys talked much about what happens with this Deshaun Watson contract and the and the impact? On, we did not. Uh, we're, we're, we actually. Put, put us, uh, well, Manny isn't here that much, so we don't, we don't do as much sports, unfortunately. Uh, but let's I was kind of hoping you guys would talk about put, that. Let's put aside the 22 civil suits that uh, that he's got, and let's talk about what they did with that contract because it's it's pretty interesting and what that contract means if it is in fact fully guaranteed. Um, when, how so, many of these? It used to be that only like one or two contracts per team, if that, were fully guaranteed. Are all these things starting to get? A lot of them starting to get fully guaranteed now, or is, or is the, it used to be the bonus was the only thing that was guaranteed, and now is this all changing? Well, that's that's one of the impacts on this. So, if you um, Deshaun Watson signs a contract that pays him forty six million a year for for five years, but pays him one million for the first year, you know why? Salary cap. Nope. He got he got forty five million dollars as a signing bonus. Okay. So so that that compensation rolls right into the 
you know, it, it gets prorated. Now, the reason that they did that, and, and this is an act of grace as far as I can tell by the Browns, is that if and when he gets suspended, and, and a lot of people think he's going to get suspended for uh, you know six games or whatever, at least a, a Ben Roethlisberger suspension, he forfeits those game checks. But they're nothing. So, they're nothing. That's right. So, so the game checks are one seventeenth of of one million dollars versus one seventeenth of forty six million dollars. Big difference. So he'll forfeit. He'll forfeit those game checks, but no, he'll have. Yeah, but no, if you uh, if you get a bonus and and you and you quit halfway through the year, don't you have to give half the bonus back? Uh, it depends how the contract's written. I've negotiated. I've negotiated contracts where where the uh, you didn't forfeit that. Okay, now, that's, that's the automatically put that in there. It's just a question of how badly they want the guy, and that they obviously wanted this guy really badly. Well, let's, well I'm going to talk about that a little bit after the SP Futures down four and SP Futures up fourteen. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. 
Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, and jocks. stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Lord Hort Bay, Stacks and Jacks, Santa Mamas, Bill Weber on the board. SP Futures down 350, NASDAQ Futures down 16, I'm sorry, up 16. A little bit of a mixed bag. Dow Futures down 41. Uh, and then the Dow stack, I've got uh, Chevron Texaco down two, 294. It's the only kind of big mover in the Dow. Well, I guess we got United Healthcare down at Dow 82. Is when we get the oil, we'll see the oil is down a bunch. DAX down 51.4%. A FTSE down 23.3%. Kick around down 39.6%. So, Slightly lower in Europe across the board. We're in Asia, we've got the Nikkei. This thing has been very, very volatile. Uh, down 205.7%. Shanghai, which was up a bunch yesterday, is down 14.5% today. Hang Seng down 235, which is a full percent. The Hang Seng has been up, down, up, down, up, down. And uh, they've probably been the, the world uh, leader in the uh, off their highs, even now after they've really backed some. Hang Seng has probably been the worst performer in the stocks that... <coughs> Any, any of the countries that we looked at, anyway. Uh, bonds, down four basis points at 2.31. It was up as high as 2.5. Uh, makes you wonder, doesn't it, about the Fed uh, doing what they say they're doing? Uh, the Bund, minus uh, eight basis points, 0.57. Uh, Japan is unchanged at 0.23. Uh, over in the U.S. yesterday, uh, as a way of review, we're down 65 in the Dow, we're down 29 in the S&P, and down 177 in the NASDAQ. Uh, oil. Today's down 616 to 101.66, still over 100 bucks. It ducked down below 100 on Monday, I believe. It was 107 yesterday, so it's been a reasonably volatile this week as well. Uh, Brent down 6 bucks, 107 even. Natural gas down 9 cents, 551. Arbob down 12 cents, 12 cents, 320. We got gold down 540, still 1933, but it's, uh, it was almost up to 1950 yesterday, but down some. Silver down 13 cents, 24.98. Copper unchanged 474. We've got Bitcoin up 187 bucks at 47,203. So pretty much the high end of the range there. Matty, what do you got for us? Traffic Weather Sports. 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. We're continuing this stretch of uh, cold, dreary, rainy weather that's been going on for about a week now, and it's continuing for the foreseeable future, because if you look at the next seven days, it doesn't look any better, unfortunately. Today, no different. Lots of rain, cloudy skies, uh, temperatures in the low 40s, a bit warmer inland. Right now, it's uh, rainy and 42 degrees downtown, and it's causing uh, some slow traffic. No accidents to report on the Edens or Kennedy uh, same for the Eisenhower. Traffic starting to build on the Stevenson and some of the Southside Expressways. Uh, but no accidents to report. But uh, give yourself plenty of time because uh, due to these rainy, wet conditions, uh, traffic volumes are a little bit slower than normal for this hour. As I mentioned, weather today, uh, rain in the forecast, highs in the low 40s. And that's where we'll be all day today. Right now it's rainy and 42 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, a beautiful day. Partly cloudy skies with a high of 82. Right now it's clear and 61. 
In sports, the quiet night last night, uh, if you're a sports fan, the Bulls were off, the Blackhawks were off, Bulls are back in action uh, tonight, they'll host the LA Clippers uh, at 7pm at the United Center, there's just six games remaining in the regular season, the Bulls find themselves in the fifth seed right now in the Eastern Conference uh, playoff race. Uh, two games in the loss column behind the fourth-seeded Celtics with six games to go. Uh, but they're also uh, tied right now with the Raptors uh, for the sixth spot. So they're both tied for the fifth spot, but the Bulls hold the tiebreaker, so the Bulls have the fifth seed. You don't want to fall down to seven uh, because that's when you're in a play-in situation, seven through ten. Uh, they're two games ahead of that. So the final six games uh, tip off tonight, and that'll be interesting to watch the Bulls settle into their final playoff seeding. Suns played last night. They beat the Warriors 107 to 103. The Suns have clinched the number one seed in the Western Conference. Blackhawks were off in hockey last night. They're back in action tonight uh, to take on the Florida Panthers down in South Florida. That's a 6 p.m. Chicago time puck drop. Coyotes played and they beat the Sharks 5 to 2. Chief. The Hawks cannot wait for the season to be over. I can't wait for their season to be over either. Yeah, they're, and I don't know what to, if you're a Jonathan Taze or a Patrick Kane or somebody who's pretty good, what do you, what do you do? That that team's not coming back in our lifetime. I mean, uh, they don't look very close at this point. No, they're uh, they're they're ten guys behind. Um, I got a question for you, sports mavens, and I just look at the business side of it. Um, well, more we uh, we do need to pick up with. Uh, I'm going to finish this to Sean yeah. Watson issue. But go ahead. Well, I mean, it's it's on the same vein. It's kind of a lead into it. Uh, everybody, well, I think everybody knows or suspects that there's teams that enter the playoffs with a very solid roster. And maybe not an elite quarterback, and you look to sit there and say, "Well, geez, if I, if I just had that guy, we'd we'd be in the Super Bowl game." And uh, and you know, it, it's it's a trick to get quote that guy without decimating the rest of your team, salary cap wise. It seems to me this year that there, well, there's like four or five teams now that are they're going all out on these quarterbacks. I don't think that they were one player away. I mean, I don't think Denver was. Plus, it, it never comes out to be a. Uh, Get one guy, and it's usually one guy in, but minus four, they, we can no longer afford to pay. That, that's a that's a real tough formula, I think, for these guys. I mean, name so, me a so team. So let me let me give yeah. you let me give you where the everybody looked at what the Rams did <laughs> this year. The NFL is a copycat league. Everybody looked at what the Rams did. They mortgaged their their future to get the quarterback that they wanted, and they were able to put. A team around him. They had a, they had a really good defense already. They were able to put a team around him that that kept him upright long enough for him to to get through to get through the season. Um, the, the mindset is you, you can develop your talent through the draft, or you can develop develop it through through trades through free agency. The positions like quarterback, um, maybe wide receiver. To a certain extent, uh, DBs uh, and some defensive linemen; those those positions are a complete crapshoot, especially quarterback. A complete crapshoot in the draft. You have absolutely no idea whether you're going to get the guy. You know, Daniel Jones for the New York Giants, Mitch Trubitsky. I shouldn't utter that that name in Chicago, but you know, the, the, you had you had player personnel directors mortgaging their careers on these guys. Everybody saw that, and so the <clears throat> the push now is let's get a guy who's a proven performer and put him in there, and then we will and we'll throw money at him, and then we will build 
these other, quote, non-skilled, unquote, positions around him with the draft, with these kids that are, you know, under contract for three or four years, five years if they're a first-rounder, first half of the first round, for, for, for three or four years, that we don't have to pay, like, nothing. And and we, we pay next to nothing. And we'll put those players in around these guys and, and hope that we can protect, you know, protect the quarterback, give him enough of an offense, get him, you know, get him out there so he can do stuff for us. And all we got to do is get to the Super Bowl once, and we, and that's a that's a successful season. The idea that you would build the kind of dynasty, and that this is uh, it's one of the reasons why I think Belichick is is a, a really good coach, in addition to being you know dishonest. Um, the idea of putting a dynasty together is 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 fading. You know, you, you're not you're not going to be able to hold on to the, the support players. That that are, are well, came into your draft because because they, they cost too much. You can't pay them versus the highly skilled players that you have to pay mega bucks to. And so the question in Cleveland it, with with I mean, Deshaun Watson's contract drives is going to drive GMs nuts because because the way the agent community works is they look at that contract and they say, okay, that's the that's the baseline now. If you're an elite quarterback, you should be making. $250 million and it should be guaranteed and they're going to go into every GM and ask for that one of the interesting things about those contracts is that there is a requirement when you when you commit that kind of money you guarantee signing bonuses or whatever when you do that you have to put that money in escrow even if you're not paying it out that money the guaranteed money has to be escrowed which means whatever the whatever the discounted value of two hundred and fifty million dollars is, the Browns have to have that money in a in an escrow. Why? 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 You know, you know, you're getting your check from. Uh, I can see that for the first year, but three years from now, why? Why if the, you know, you think you're not going to get a dime from the networks? The, the union required that as part of the CBA because they did not want some guy signed. To a megabucks contract, and then and then the club goes. Well, we we don't have the money. We need to renegotiate. Okay, so, but so that that it instantly instantly shuts down clubs like the Bengals. Uh, the the Bengals the Bengals don't have that kind of cash floating around. They, how, they does, how does anybody? They're not liquid enough. How does anybody? Well, I mean, some of these guys are multi-billionaires, and, and they can they can do it. I mean, the, the Browns the Browns are owned by the guy that runs the what is it the gas stations, not Pilot. What is he? What, well, but I mean, but I mean, if, from what, is, what I understand, and I could be wrong, the the check you get from the networks is roughly equivalent to the salary cap. So why why would anybody, if you're going to get a if they have salary caps, what, say two hundred million dollars, or, or two fifty? And you're going to get a check three years from now for two fifty, and you got a contract with uh, NBC and all these people to get it. Why would I have the thirty million dollars to pay you three years from now today? Because because the union directed that, and that's part of the CBA. Well, that's <clears throat> somewhat insane. I think uh, it may, may may well be, but the unions the unions did not want it. The union did not want a situation where you know guys would come in. Get these fantastic deals, and then the club would not be able to pay it. Well, I mean, if the if the league folded, I mean, you probably uh, and Maddie as well, probably one of the two. Well, Maddie wouldn't even hear. 
uh, the John Brody deal in the AFL, he said, I want a personal service contract with the owner, which is sort of the same thing. So, yep. I mean, do people think that the NFL is going to fold in three years? I mean, I, maybe. No, they don't, they don't think the NFL is going to fold, but their contract isn't with the NFL. It's with the team. And okay. if, the team, if the team gets cash poor, then then uh, you know you you can't you can't make those those commitments. And the union the union did not want that sitting out there. So um, the ownership the ownership apparently agreed to it. That but but a two hundred fifty million dollar contract that's guaranteed completely alters the financial landscape for clubs that are suddenly going to have to tell their, their players or, or their superstars we can't do that. And we're not going to. But how do you how do you uh, account for? I mean, the, like the ten, I think it was Tennessee. Manny uh, what was the team that had the. I mean, they they came and they they played real well and they were one of the top teams and they had. I looked at their offensive line. They had like four of the five guys who were like all pros or something. Now, if you don't you don't really want to be a quarterback, no matter how big your ego is, to show up at a place where you got to get rid of three of those guys. I mean, God, it makes for a pretty bloody Sunday for you every week. Uh, it it sure can, and that's what I'm afraid is going to happen here in Denver. Um, but but yeah, but but you know the thought process. Believe me, the, the the GMs are going to the coaches and saying, okay, we've we've mortgaged X amount of our salary cap for this. So what we're going to do now is this is how much we've got to spend on other players. <clears throat> so you guys are going to have to either a develop other players. Or we're going to have to draft them, and you, you'll have to develop them, or you're going to have to pick them up in free agency. Well, that was my original point. I, I don't think that there's five or six teams that, even in their mind, they might be are one player away. Even though, because it's never one player, it's one player minus the four you're not going to be able to sign. It's like in, in Green Bay. Well, now they don't have the the, the, the receiver. Yeah. You, you're never you're yeah. never even. No, I I, I know, but that's. That's that's how this is playing out. So, so the Watson the Watson deal, and never mind the the civil suits and all the other bad stuff that's going to drop on this guy. What if he so goes to Watson, jail? I'm sorry. What if he goes to jail? He's got, he's not, none of these are criminal, right? No, he's not going to jail. They didn't indict him. He 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 was uh, not indicted by the uh, by the grand jury. So so that's the minute the minute he was not indicted, chief. That's when all the negotiations started. Because as far as the NFL is concerned, these are just civil suits. Now the question is whether the you know the the progressive sports media is going to bash the Browns for bringing the guy in who you know has credible allegations of sexual misconduct and sexual assault against him. Some of them already gonna, have been. Are they going to going to object to that and force force something out of the Browns? Some of them already have been uh, starting that movement. Oh yeah. No, no, I know. I mean, I mean, you can you can see it on ESPN, and and again, the short answer is, you guys can just shut up. This is the entertainment business. The fans of Cleveland will will make that will make that call, and and the Browns are basically saying, yeah, he, the civil stuff he can deal with, and we'll give him some help with that. But he's got he's got lots of lawyers, and we're paying him to have lots of lawyers. All we care about is what's happening on the field, and if you can win for us. The other stuff will take care of itself. It did with Roethlisberger. Oh yeah, yeah, they did with Roethlisberger. I mean, for heaven's sakes, what was the guy for for uh, St. Louis, the the Rams, uh, Little Leonard Little, who was who killed who killed somebody in the second DUI crash, 
and they brought him back into the league. Um, so, so I mean, the history on this is is kind of up and down. You can you can say, well, this is terrible, and we shouldn't be bringing people like this into the league. But well, does does what he does in the off off season have that much of an impact on his playing performance? The more words of. Uh my current neighbor and uh, Matty Weber's former neighbor, if there wasn't an NFL, you'd need another prison. Yeah, that's right. Um, anyway, that that was that was another topic I wanted to I wanted to breach and, and uh, discuss. And then the, the third one was, or the uh, the other one was the um, an interesting Wall Street Journal editorial on on the president, <clears throat> and I, I just. I put it out there. It, it's called the president we have. Maddie can can link to it in, in the uh, Twitter feed. But basically, it's a it's a an editorial that says the guy we have in the White House is not up to it. We've elected somebody who is not up to the job that we need him to do. Uh, let, me ask, means, let me ask you a question: is, it, is anybody? I'm sorry. Is anybody? I, I don't understand what you said. You're saying is anybody up to the, the yes, current job? Yeah, some people are. Some people are up to it, and some people are up to it most of the time. Some people are up to it some of the time. This guy is not up to it. And, but but the point the point I wanted to make was the the journal calls upon Congress and the federal executive branch and his advisors to step up and start assisting him because it's clear. That he and his vice president are not competent for this. That they, that they can't do the job. That they're a disaster when we put them out there. And this, this is, and, and you don't have to, you can look around or take, take whatever measure you want. Foreign affairs, um, um, our economy, our energy situation, our education situation, the border. They just lifted, they just lifted the Title 42 deportation requirements at the border. Which is going to increase the flood of illegals coming across from uh, from Mexico. That was announced yesterday. They're they're not up to it, and so the the, the journal and, and I just thought this is a really interesting, you know, a really interesting editorial because the other the, <clears throat> the journal editors are basically stepping up and saying, "Listen, all this partisan stuff needs to go out the window right now." Well, sure, it does. The country the country is in real danger. You, right ha- you have to be in a situation where there's. No matter who you are, if you're the Democratic president or the Republican president, I'm going to I'm going to reach out and say. <laughs> but this was not happening with Trump, and it and it certainly didn't happen with Obama or Bush. But it could have. This, 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 no, I don't think so. This was a remarkable editorial. Okay, but I'm and, saying. And it, I, I, but look at the I, three I, other people you just talked about. They were, I, I you know, I I, 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 I certainly appreciate. Where you're going with this, Lord, I happen to agree with you, but I'm just, everybody has their, and I, I try and look at this as if, as if it was me, okay? Um, boy, if I, if all, if all, if I had a, a chance for a year in the Oval Office to concentrate on the things I wanted to concentrate, fixing budgets, fixing SEC, fixing antitrust, doing those kinds of things, if I was able to do that, that would be what I consider to be my strong suit. What if I get knocked off my pedestal the first year, and the first thing is some African war. I've never been to Africa. I don't know anything about Africa. I better have somebody like you around me and, and a bunch of other people that, that know this stuff, and they they better step up because I don't know it. I mean, there's, there's got to be areas, no matter who you are, 
that your strong suit and that your weak suit. I, I happen to think that well, this guy's. But my my point my point is that this president has surrounded himself with people who aren't doing that, who's who are blinded by ideology, and and have a a worldview that is that is just not not reality. And if you if you want a classic example of that. Look up, excuse me. Look up the Ezra Klein interview with Larry Summers that that just came out uh, last week, I think, or maybe earlier in the week. Go, go find that on go find that on on Twitter or or uh, in uh, Google and put that link to that. It it has statements in there that are just unbelievable, but they're very revealing. In which Klein says things like, "But we want it to feel good." We ran the economy hot because we wanted to feel good about about the people that were on the margins and how we were helping them. And Summers, of course, is saying that's why we have inflation. That's why you guys ran this economy. The people up. you the, ran it up, and, and instead of helping the people on the margins, you're killing them. They don't because it, they don't have they don't have the knowledge, Lou. And, uh, and you, well, you know, you and I. How long have we talked about this? The same people they talk about helping are the people they're killing. We know that it, it, you and I, it, you and I have known that for years. This is this is fascinating. I mean, I, 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 let, I let me let me read this to you. So so this is Klein talking, and, and boy, I'll, this just comes right out of the right out of the. We need to worry about feelings more than facts. School of, of economic analysis. Klein says, "So I know you're a hard nosed economist." He's talking to Summers, who looks at the numbers here. But I want to locate, I think, the emotional and to some degree political frustration of this conversation. Because a lot of the dynamics you're talking about that then get framed as excess demand, these are things that just feel just that many of us have wanted for a long time. More hiring, wage increases, particularly at the bottom end, stimulus checks for people who've had a, a lot of bad years and didn't have a cushion behind them, child tax credits for the families that could really use that. And so there are a lot of policies that came together. I mean, there was a reason the Biden administration wanted to run the economy hot. There was a long period where it didn't just feel... The economic data showed that the expansions were not reaching people on the market margins, and it felt that we were really doing that. But then all of a sudden, we end up in this inflation monster. They, and, they, and he said, it's, it's really frustrating because we felt that this was the right thing to do. And, of course, Summers comes back and says, uh, the data don't care about your feelings. <laughs> you know, the numbers don't care about your feelings. Lou, this has been going on. You can trace all this back, really, to 2000. But seriously, back to 2007, 2008, it's right there on the piece of paper sure. for anybody with a, with, a, with a high school economics class to look at and say this this is the wrong way to go. But I, I, I think the whole, I mean, I, I go further than what you just said. It's not just they have they have two very big problems. Well, three really. One is the uh, the, the federal budget deficit. Every percent up is three hundred three hundred billion dollars a year. But but let me let me just I want to step back from these numbers because I'm not what to me is the most fascinating thing about this interview and and the fascinating thing about the people that are around Joe Biden is the feelings drive. I, I I'm going to say, Lou, that that's absolutely untrue. Um, I'm not just not just to be argumentative on radio, but I'm going to say it's absolutely untrue. Do remember the book, follow the money. A lot of people. Let's see. A, a lot of again. I, I think. I think you you run into the same issue here that you ran into with Russia. You know, you're confronting ideologues, just like just like we confronted ideologues on the Iraq War. Every marker 
on, on Iraq said, we're not going to be able to establish a democratic culture there. It's just not going to work. Every marker. Oh, yeah. We don't and, know. Yet, and yet we, we went in. I mean, my, my point is, is uh, I'll use the term, well, actually we had a, a, a priest, believe it or not, was a guest, uh, well, he was a guest priest at St. Bernadette's, and he gave one of these like almost college-level homilies, right? Which, of course, people in a regular <laughs> a regular parish weren't ready for. And he, and he said, more, more wars based on economics have been fought in the name of religion than anything. They, they're, they're, they're fighting these wars in the name of their religion. I, I agree with you, Bill. Or Bill. Bill, Bill they, 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 uh, I was thinking about some economist named Bill. Uh, I agree with you that they're being fought under this guise of God knows what, uh, pro progressive kind of bullshit, basically. But it's all economic. The, 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 the people at the top of the food chain, that have made so much money with these policies, don't think that that's not the driving force. Then you then you need the cover for it. No, we want their oil. Oh, wait a minute. Let's make this a religious war so everybody goes and fights. No, I think it. I think it. I think it's the other way around. I I'm, follow the dough. Just follow. I mean, I'm, we're probably uh, uh, both uh, somewhat I think, right. I think the dough. I think the dough helps you, but the dough. The dough is not motivating. The dough is not motivating Ezra Klein, and and you need. You, I, I would link to that if you can. Well, if not, that energy, if not, it's it's one thing. It's one thing to be a pawn. It's quite another to not know that you're being a pawn. I think they're just pawns because the money's flying one direction. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's flying out. That's for sure. I mean, I mean, Doctor J. You know, one of his famous lines when he was still doing the show with us was, "This guy Obama, supposedly for the middle class, and John's got some dough." And he goes, "I've done better. The, the the people that have money have done better under this guy than any Republican ever. I hope, I hope, I hope they elect him again." Of course. I mean, this is this is insanity. The how, how I mean, you're talking but about. I don't, but I don't believe that was the purpose of the. I don't believe that was the purpose of the uh, of the policy. Uh, uh, in somebody's mind, but but I'm saying, who really is behind it, Lou? I mean, I'm not. Gonna, if I'm going to, I mean, does this even if it's a war? Does, does anybody really, uh, in order in order to go fight? I mean, look at the the, the friggin'. Uh, uh, what what's the, the uh, Iliad? Does anybody really think that, that was fought because somebody stole somebody's good looking girlfriend? It was for trade wars. Absolutely, for trade, I think that's why it happened. What? Because trade, the trade war? Yeah. The trade war was capitalized on that, but I absolutely think that's the reason. Well, it's the reason why you got people to go and fight, but the the other people are sitting there calculating and going, These are now my trade routes. Yippee <laughs> Right? Well, I'm, I'm, my, my take again, I, I'm, I'm going by what, you know, what people are saying. So look, look at that article and read that interview. It's fascinating. And then that Wall Street Journal editorial is, is stunning. I, I'm with you. As you know, I, I love hearing all this stuff because I don't see it. And when you bring it up, but, but, but you know that there's, that there's always somebody behind this with his calculator going. Oh, I, uh, there's absolutely that's the case. But the motivation, the stupid motivation, is the um, you know is the ideology. Well, excuse me. That, that's how you get people at age eighteen years old to go and, and die for you. It's, it's the ideology, right? There's no doubt about that. I think so. But but at the end of the day, the, the reason why the Iraq thing was a, was a fiasco is because our guys are more worried about who's going to get the oil at the end than who's going to be in charge over there. We we didn't we didn't care about the oil. I don't know. According to that British uh, 
thing that they if did. We did. If we did, we were we were even more incompetent than I thought. Oh well, yeah, We're getting any of it now. Little good stuff, buddy. Feel feel better on that cold, will you? And uh, good do. good stuff. Uh, be right back, Mr. Danjanitis. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening here. Hello, Hope X, Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howard. This is Matt Weber. The board SP futures up a whole 75 cents. Markets are calmer than they have been the last couple of days, and this morning is no exception. Uh, well, percent, percent and a half moves we, we we're used to, but today is, uh, calmer. NASDAQ is up, uh, 39. We got the employment numbers tomorrow, and based on the ADP number yesterday, uh, they might be hot again. Uh, Dan, how are you? Good, good. What, uh, we had a, we had a lady on, on, uh, on, yeah, Monday or Tuesday, we won't rain in. Uh, mortgage lady said that the mortgages have shot up since the beginning of the year. What three, three and a quarter to five? It's a. Uh, are you? What are you? What are you seeing on, on your end? Are people? Are that's, that's what people are paying interest. Or are the people getting interest? Is it going up that fast or slower? Yeah, I'm seeing something similar. I mean, the high high fours 
is what I'm hearing. I, I know my chiropractor is looking, is waiting for a new home to be built, and, and they're locked into a, um, they're not locked in yet. And as rates are going higher, you know, they started at three and a half, and now they're up to four and three quarters. So it's, um, I actually think this trend will obviously continue because we're going to see higher rates. Um, we're, you know, the Fed is going to continue to raise. That's um, as they should um, with the negative interest rate environment. But I, I see higher mortgage rates as a bigger risk to c- the consumer than um, higher ga- gas prices. Um, I think there's a larger, um, you know, it, it, it's a it's a much bigger purchase, and it's a generally a very long term purchase. And the, you know, I do think there is going to be a slowdown. I think this is going to, you know, it's going to happen over time. It may not happen, you know, right now, but it is going to begin to happen, and that's going to certainly slow uh, new home buyers down from 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 uh, purchasing um, because you have the combination of the high rates uh, you know the rates going up and high prices still you know prices that are at their peaks historically so that you know in uh, slowing down the housing sector is uh, slow growth that definitely has a major impact on on the consumer um, on our you know on our economy um, so it's going to take place over a period of time that may be Two years, you know, um, but it's it's definitely you know it's definitely not good news. And in general, we are you know we are concerned about these economic headwinds, inflation, rising rates, uncertainty still over um, geopolitical and the war. So we have been raising cash um, and sort of selling into the rallies that we've seen in the last few weeks. And uh, we still like the you know on the income side, we still like the idea you know if you want to be involved and you want to get extra income, this is a good time. Um, the preferred stocks we talked about are still hanging in there, um, producing returns that are that are significantly higher than than what you're getting anywhere else. Um, we talked about self-storage, SELF, that's, that stock continues to perform well, paying a 6% dividend, and the utilities are actually doing quite well. The one name that I've mentioned, or two names I've mentioned, I'm in Black Hills, BKH, um, we started buying at 62. It's now at 76. Tends to perform very well um, in any any environment, whether the you know the the techs are running or whether um, the techs are losing. Um, BKH is doing well, and uh, Otter was another one. OTTR, another utility that um, is kind of hanging in. Price is hanging in, but pays a decent dividend. And then uh, finally, uh, uh, Spire, which we've talked about before before. You know, there's several companies that have buy recommendations on the underlying stock on the common. This is SPI. Like what is this? SPI natural gas companies. What's the what's the symbol? SPI. SSR is the symbol, and then SRPRA for the preferred. Okay. Which paying about six percent. So those are here are some ideas where you can earn income in this environment. Um, you can also certainly earn income from from investing in floating rate notes in this environment. So you, you can earn income as rates go higher. Um, you know, it's a good place to park some cash. You know, we will be seeing um, money, <laughs> we will be seeing interest uh, paid on cash accounts as well, but it's, you know, we only have a 125 basis um, rate hike behind us, and there's, you know, there's a lot more to come. So I, I'd say by the end of the year, you're going to start seeing a little bit of yield in your your short-term money market funds, and if you, you know, not not such a bad time if you want to put a little money in cash. And then I guess finally, in terms of ideas, we've been um, doing research. I was at a conference um, in Palm Beach for mostly um, alternative managers, private equity, and I think private equity in certain certain parts of private equity look very attractive now. 
Um, there are several funds that we're looking at. We're doing more research, and I'll, I'll be able to mention them in a future call. But they're paying, you know, really good rates of income, very short term. Um, we have one or two that are in the like, you know, paying in the twelve percent range. And so we're doing our homework on those names, and hopefully have uh, have some uh, recommendations uh, uh, in the near future. But this, I will say, this is the first time. And I ran a hedge fund years ago in the late nineties. But this is the first time in the last decade that I'd, I would say alternative investments really look attractive, you know, where our fixed income bonds are, you know, rates are going higher, which is not good for bonds, and equities are, you know, I think the volatility comes back in the equity market. I think this is a temporary pause, and I also think a lot of the names are still relatively overvalued. One thing that you've noticed, that we've all noticed, is with higher rates, um, we did see an initial sell-off. In, in a lot of the tech names. And then, you know, we're continuing to see more and more news about higher rates, you know, over time. And then we see this rally, which sort of comes from, uh, you know, I think people just seeing, you know, names that have sold off and thinking that they're good buys. But longer term, <clears throat> we're in the middle of a tightening credit cycle. And I, I you know, I see that, I see softening. I don't necessarily see a recession well, uh, down the road, but I see softening. I'm going to, I'm going to ask a real stupid question here, Dan, because uh, you've just, explain very well and succinctly what's going on and I'm going to say uh, I agree with you except it's all BS because these guys have done nothing but pour money in the last two weeks because the market was down the bonds have had a huge rally yeah no, I, I, I agree the one thing I can liken it to and I'm t- I was trying to go back um, I was thinking in, in 2008 um, what I was doing and at the time I was investing in alternative managers um and it was just about the time I had started my own firm and did quite a bit of research um, and was talking to a lot of the, the growth equity managers, and they really were concerned about what was happening with credit and having been a bond manager, understanding the credit cycle is very important. I think it's horribly misunderstood by not only growth equity managers but by individual investors. So I don't. I do not think that individual investors really understand the impact of this tightening cycle that's approaching. But and, I, I think, uh, I think uh, they're not going to do it. But I, I agree I with you that there's this money keeps falling back, you know, flowing back in, and it's it's uh, like a snowball effect. Um, but but I don't agree with it. I don't. Well, you and I both. We're boy. We're on a bad radio, but we're on the ex- absolute same page. But I'm, I'm getting to the point now. If, if this guy Powell says he's he's raising rates. I'm, I'm buying bonds. I mean, he, yeah. I, think, I think the guy has, yeah. has, 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 has his credibility gap is as wide as my behind. For God's sake, I mean, right. I mean, the, and it's too late. You know, it's, I think it's already too late. And and there are some economists who who are saying that um, you know it's too late, so we're going to see a recession. I don't think we're going to see a recession necessarily, but I do think it's very clear we're going to see a slowdown. And look at the, um, the shape of the yield curve. I mean, even since we last spoke last last Thursday, the it's continued to flatten and it's actually inverted in certain places. And that, again, it doesn't mean a recession just yet, but it does mean that we're the, the, mar- the bond market, which I think is a smart market, is looking at um, is is looking at uh, a slower economy. Um, and look at what's going on in Europe. I mean, the slowdown is already occurring there. They're, they have the same impact on rates. You still have negative real rates over there. Plus, you have the other the commodity issues, which I think will impact them more than us. So I expect to see a slowdown, and we're you know we're in, as much as we want to be a separate market, and yeah, a lot of be. investors are U.S. focused. Um, 
a lot of the companies that you're investing in are, especially the, the tech mains, are invested in Europe and, and they're invested in Asia and they're, you know, they're global companies. It's funny, Dan, I listen to what, you know, you, you've been talking now for a few minutes. I, I listen to what you say and I'm absolutely on board with you that that's the way the world ought to be. I'm at a point now, I don't, I look at the yield curve, I must have listened to these, unfortunately, I, Fortunately, you get to go talk to people all day long. I'm, I'm watching all this. I'm, I, I'm going crazy listening to these, these, I won't say morons. They talk about this, the yield curve all day long. First of all, it only dipped like a couple of hundred points. Yeah, it's not. A- I mean, but secondly, how do you even look at, I mean, it's, it reminds me of uh, five easy pieces. I am the friggin' shore patrol. The, 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 the Fed is, they are the yield yeah. curve. If you, the only reason why the yield curve is dipping in, in between the five and the seven is because the five trades and the seven doesn't. And, and it's, it's what a couple of hundred basis points, a couple of a couple of basis points. And it's not even it's not even newsworthy. What, what, what's, yeah. new, what's newsworthy is for the next two years we know inflation is going to be ten percent and the rates two. And what manner of moron we all are. I mean, not, not individually. I mean, how is it that we've got we've got a population that is, that has somehow been hornswoggled into giving people money? Of thousand dollars at the end of the year, they're going to give you nine hundred hours back. I mean, we we know there's inflation next year or two. I mean, you and I can have a nice fight over an adult beverage over where it's going to be ten years from now, but we both know that giving money to somebody for a year, we're getting ninety cents back. Right, and that's already that's already the case. Basically, yeah. I mean, we're already we're already there, and it's not going to get better. And we 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 see the signs that that's not going to be that's not going to improve any time in the near future. In fact, it's probably going to go in the other other direction. Yeah. So. So we're um, so yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, Do you think no, no we? Uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, I just want your opinion. I want to say a serious question. It is a, I think right now, uh, from what I saw the last two weeks, I mean, I was suspecting this for a while. That uh, you, well, first of all, you can't believe these guys. Would you have ever dreamt after all the the meeting two weeks ago that in the next two weeks the balance sheet was going to grow by over fifty billion dollars? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'm going to say right now. I want your your vote, Maddie. Is I I still think right now today, if you put the the, the big bright lights on on Powell, he would tell you if you're screwing something under his fingernails, he would tell you that I tell I talk about this inflation right now. The stock market is more important to me than inflation with the with the election coming up. I don't. I think the stock market is way more important than inflation to those, these people. Yeah, and that's why I, I listen to the to the CEOs of the companies we invest in and, and companies we're looking at. For my information source, they're the ones who are out there. They're seeing what's going on. They can tell you, you know, they're the best. Um, they, they're the best feedback that we get. And where people are still being fooled by what happened, say not fooled necessarily, but they're looking at the prior quarter still. Now we're going to have some new. We're going to have the first quarter numbers coming out in another few weeks, earnings. So, so I think we'll have a, a better sense of what's going on from, but. But for somebody like like me who actually talks to the managers very frequently and the and the and the um, CEOs and the and the, the senior managers, I listen to them more than I listen to the to the Fed. They're the ones who really see what's going on. They see the economic headwinds, and that's that's really where. Um, and and for them, it's not the Fed that they're concerned about. They're concerned about supply chain issues, hiring people, which we you know we've we've talked about, and I keep pounding <laughs> on is just you know lack of help and. Our local airport here not being able to get 20 flights out last week because they couldn't, they didn't have enough people to work. My, my mechanic shutting down his shop and having to find a new mechanic. So there's, that is still happening right now and, and that is not going to be good news for these companies and that, 
means inflation. That means they have to pay higher wages to attract the best help. They're still paying higher costs. Um, that's going to continue. So, so I would tend to lean more towards what I hear from the CEOs than what I hear from the Fed. Um, I've been disappointed by them in the past, and, and we tend not to look at them as the rest of the world is looking at them right now. Uh, Dan, why, uh, on that question, I've been, since, uh, we got the labor numbers this week, but last month, uh, Carl and I were going over pretty closely, and of course he's way better at this than me, but it's, I, uh, how much of what you just said, and oh, by the way, I absolutely believe you, um, how much of what you just said is, um, your area basically getting the people that are leaving Illinois and everybody. I mean, because you look at the, with the full numbers, I'm not expecting you to look at this table, but take my word for it, I'm not lying to you. We're actually, as of February, we've got 200,000 more people working than we did at the end of 2019. So the idea that everybody's sitting on their sofa is, I don't know that it's there necessarily. But, I mean, we're, I'm talking about countrywide. I mean, I, mean, I think right. in your area, you're you're seeing a part of the world that I'm not seeing, and I'm seeing a part of the world that you're not seeing. That's what, probably one of the reasons why it's good radio you and I are together. Because I mean, is it, is it really? I mean, I guess in Chicago, if you've got a restaurant uh, and you can't hire back people at twelve bucks an hour to be onion choppers, which I'm not disparaging anybody's job, I think a lot of those people are in Florida making thirty bucks an hour, putting houses up. I mean, I, mean, they're, they're, I think there's been a big shift around, but the, but the actual numbers. Do not confirm nobody wants to work, nobody's working. Because it looks to me like we're right back where we were and on, a, on a, a huge number scale. That doesn't help you, your people, doesn't help our people, but you know what I'm saying? But it, but I, I don't know that we're that far down in terms of raw numbers anymore. Yeah, no, and then I and actually I do agree with you on that, but I think that's also part of the reason that some of these firms that are, that are in growth mode are having trouble. They have lost some people. And they're in growth mode trying to find new help, um, and they're having to pay higher wages to do that. And I'm talking, you know, about manufacturing companies, right. companies in a number of different industries. You know, we were talking, I was talking sort of more Main Street initially, but, but these are larger companies that are, have seen, um, people leave or are in a growth mode and not able to find the right talent. Um, so they're having to pay up for the talent and the, and, you know, they, they have to provide other, better benefits and all that. So that's a cost, some additional cost to the companies, which, um, Certainly isn't you know going to help their uh, their earnings or their their um, you know in the near future. So the inflation issue is, is real, um, and uh, in terms of the employment issue, um, I think it is getting better. Um, but I still think there are issues out there. I mean, it's not behind us. Well, you're gonna. I was at a really nice place in Orland, uh, a Thai restaurant. We know the people who own it and go there as much as we can, and food's delicious, but. I was having a conversation with the, the, the husband, and he's like, well, we still can't hire a cook. And I'm thinking, okay, they used to pay the guy 12 bucks an hour, and uh, and he quit. So I'm thinking, now, if you look at the menu, they, they have, they're not gouging. Some places are, are bizarre what they're charging, but uh, they're not gouging, but, but they're up some, you know, pretty much across the board. It's, they're up 10%, 15%. Well, on, on the gross, I mean, they they better get it in their mind that that cook is worth twenty bucks an hour, twenty four hours to them. Right, right. I mean, you're not you're not going to raise the the rate from twelve to thirteen fifty and expect you know people knocking at your door. I mean, I, I think the I think what a lot of what's happened, Dan, and in the, in the labor part. I mean, if if you look at uh, again, we went through this a little bit last week. 
I, I think the market for labor is very similar to the market for oil. And it's very inelastic. That all, all it takes yeah. is for one or two people to, for openings where one guy says, I'll pay 25 when people were paying 50. I think if you look at from 2000, that's why I, I'm, I'm horrified at this, ho- this housing market because in 2007 and 2008, it was incredibly predictable in the, not, not that the Japanese were loaning money and people were sticking on mortgages and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, Goldman was putting thousands of mortgages. In a, none of that was predictable, I don't, I don't think, from guys like us. Right, right. But the fact is, 80%, 85% of the population could not afford the median, the median price house. Absolutely. And it was, and it was waiting for a catalyst. And right now, I'm going to say as bad as it was in 2007, it's 40% times worse. I, I agree with you. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think that's why, you know, initially the first question you asked me were, was about, uh, higher mortgage rates. That only throws fuel on the fire in terms of, yeah. of what you're saying. It's only going to, it's only going to make things worse. And there has to be like a balance. It's kind of like the way, you know, bonds, bonds, uh, the price of bonds goes up when rates come down and, and the price of bonds goes down when rates go up. Well, likewise, mortgage rates, you have that same sort of invert, you know, inverted, um, relationship between rates and housing prices and in order to make it work you know there has to at least be some stability in prices well there was a so, restaurant near my house that never never reopened actually uh they were doing real well matter of fact it was uh, one of the you know one of those places where you'd go and there was a line out the door on sunday mornings and you got your your omelets and your eggs on the real hot you know metal plates and everything so everything was real high-end joint not, not, not high-end prices but a, a really well done they raised their rate to Fifteen thousand a month lease. Well, okay, right, so you're, you're yeah, yeah, so you're paying people, you know, ten bucks an hour, and all of a sudden those people are worth not you know, fifteen, eighteen. Now you're sitting there going, well, we're seeing. An, I mean, I think Dan, if you and I, well, we like what we do for a living, and we have clients, so we can't very well do this. I often thought, boy, if you and I could could uh, could step out for a year, bring John Flanagan with us, step out for a year and go teach economics right now. This is a fascinating time because we're seeing oh, a, we're seeing absolutely. a dramatic repricing of a lot of stuff, and people who haven't gotten a raise since two thousand are now saying, "Hey, wait a minute, this market doesn't look bad." I'm not asking for ten to ten fifty; I want ten to fifteen. And, right. and and you know what? If you look at where they were in two thousand versus today, the fifteen should probably be twenty or twenty two. You know, because there hasn't been a raise anywhere in in, in that level, absolutely. and all of a sudden it's kind of payback time. Because the, the, the supply and demand is there, and all of a sudden the guy is going to come, come up to you and me saying, "Hey, buddy, the fifteen thousand dollar lease isn't cutting it," or, or, or maybe the you know the head of the company. I mean, like, what's his name? I'm not a big fan, but you know, Carl Icahn is on the other day right, talk, yeah. talking about the management at Kroger is making unconscionable amounts of money compared to other people. And they're bitching and moaning. The guy wants twelve bucks an hour versus ten, and they've gotten raises. Like there's no tomorrow since 2000. I mean, right. I mean, it's almost like a great reset, reprice going on. And I'll tell you what, from an economic side, I, I think you're you you love to look at this stuff as much as I do. It's fascinating, isn't it? It is. Yeah, no, and, this, and I agree with you. This would be a case study in business school um, for you know in a business school economics class. Absolutely, it, it's just they're they're different. Um, uh, many different things going on that aren't necessarily uh, consistent. And it's a, you, you're going to see a lot of these work out, and the way they work out is just like you're saying. There's pressure on, you know, there's pressure on getting wages up. The other thing that we see, and I'm going another, you know, sort of, sort of from macroeconomics to micro, what we see is the 
you know, we look at managers and we look at one of the things we do look at, which is different than a lot of typical analysts and portfolio managers, we look at how they treat their employees. You know, that's all that's oh, salary benefits, yeah. the work environment. And now we can add that, you know, the flex working as well, the hybrid working. Um, and the companies that we invest in, that's really important to us. And the one name that I've mentioned in the past, Thunderbird, that is really where they shine. And they haven't lost anyone in this environment. They've actually been able to attract new talent. And it's a, you know, it's a company that had, they, they were at, four, the stock was at 4% yesterday. It's going to take a little while to, I think, for it to, um, to continue to go up. And, but, but we do see a, sort of a, uh, you know, thir- you know, 20, 25 price target on a stock that's still trading around four. And I don't really see them being affected by any of the supply chain issues. I mean, they, you know, they have, um, talent as a younger management team that I think has a, has the right approach, but it really comes back to the management. So the management is treating their employees well. They really see, they value that, they pay them accordingly, and they retain people. And, and, and I think the, some and of the people, like you're saying, are going to have to learn that lesson the hard well, way. But, you know, be blunt. They're not stealing all the dough. Right. I mean, you Absolutely. Look, when you look at some of these companies, the, these, uh, I mean, I'm not going to name a few, but the ones that are, are like these, uh, these, these companies that, you know, don't make any money, they become... Massive uh, in interest, well, I say a lot of interest in the investment community, a lot of your meme stocks and everything. It's stunning to me, Dan, how managers of a company that's never made a dime feel free to make $30 million over two or three. I mean, really? Yeah. I mean, no, the shareholders aren't getting a dime. Nobody's getting a raise. But by the way, you're this valuable? How, I mean, right. how valuable would you be if you were in a place that actually made some money? <laughs> wow. Well, well, it is. I think, like you're saying, this is a time for the, you know, um, I don't know what you call it. There'll be like some some names that'll slip out. Some some people will, you know, in this this uh, reorganization, if you will, um, the names that are are you know the companies that are doing that are not going to survive. You know, they just they they can't if they continue in that. And that's probably some good news that's coming out of this. One thing you know, talk, talking about going back to your local restaurant. One thing I've noticed, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but the um, Customer service has been much much better across the board. I can't remember yeah. a time where the customer service was so good. I've not had a bad experience, um, you know, in say the last ten or fifteen, you know, experiences out at a restaurant. And I think part of that is that the people who are there, either they have to work or they really enjoy that customer service part of the job, and they are being treated well by their, you know, in most cases they're being treated well by their uh, bosses, or if nothing else, they're being treated well by the customers who say. Hey, this woman is running back and forth from the bar to the serving at the food and, and all that, and I'm going to give her a little extra money. So, you know, I think the majority of, um, you know, the, the, the majority of well-managed companies are going to be able to retain good talent and people like that that are going to smile even though they're busting their, well, you know, they're working are, their butts off. I've, I see people as more understanding. I was actually out, uh, uh, Tuesday night with a client and, uh, we went to a place. When you, when you come to town, we'll go over there. Good, good place in a Italian place. And, uh, the uh, they <laughs> I pulled my big suburban up to the door and I say to the guy, you mean the kid? I got, I got room for this big bus. He goes, Hey, I'm just gonna park it right in front. This is gonna be a slow night. Well, all of a sudden, it's not a slow night, right? People are piling. I don't know what what would. <laughs> and uh, but you know what? Everybody's got the understanding that these guys are not staffed on a Tuesday night like a Friday. And if right. they wait a second longer, as long as people are pleasant, everybody's dealing with it. I mean, it. Right. I, I mean, part of it is. The customer service, I mean, it's, it's not as good as if they had two other people hanging around. But the fact is, as long as everybody's pleasant and, you know, the, everything's good and uh, somebody buys you a drink somewhere along the way, 
you deal with it, and and and, uh, and you leave a nice tip, right? I mean, it's right. that, that these are the cards we're being dealt, and you know what? Like most intelligent people, we're dealing with them as best we can. I mean, and, right. I, and you know, it doesn't mean that. I mean, uh, and and everybody's having. But they, I see the same people in this place that were there. They didn't lose people. They take care of them. Right. I mean, if uh, you know, I, I think what you're seeing is is what did Kevin say? What the, when all the trucking driver shortage? He goes, some people have ninety percent turnover, some people have four percent turnover, and people can't wait to get in the door. It's all about right. how you deal with yourself and your clients, right? And the man, it, I think management really makes a huge difference in any business. It, you know, small business, a main street business, or you know, in a larger organization, and it trickles down to to the staff, and the, you know they, you know, whether it's a you know a friendly, fun place to work with decent benefits, um, where people can move move ahead, move up to the next level if they're interested. You know, they can go, go get into the management level, um, and there's a path there. So that I think is going to attract. You know, but they're going to be smarter about who they hire too. So it's going to. But you're right. I think we do as consumers have to be somewhat patient in this environment, um, and. You know, sort of across the board, and really just understand what's going on. And um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding right now in terms of what's going on because there's so many. You know, consumers are hearing what they're hearing is is there's a lot of mixed messages out there. Well, Dan, thank you very much, but and uh, thanks for those good good tips. I like I like the idea that the ones you were talking about six months ago are still working out. Um, they are, yeah, absolutely. What uh, is there going to be a day where we just want to be short these bonds? There's going to be limit down three days in a row. I'm waiting for that day, and I, I don't see it with these guys. Yeah, I I don't see it either. Um, I, like I said, our area, our new area of focus has been more on alternatives. I think there's going to be some good fixed income, income-oriented alternative investments that are going to be good holds over the next few years. Um, and that's what you know, that's what we're researching right now, um, rather than trying to chase the bond market. Um, yeah, or stay on at least stay on the short end. If you're getting two 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 thirty or whatever on a two year. You know that yield. If you're looking for yield, that look, yield looks more attractive than going longer and and, and seeing more volatility. Oh yeah, you, you, and, you know more um, you, you, these guys, uh, inflation risk. These guys, can, risk. If they continue to screw this up. You don't want to have a thirty year bond at two and a half percent. Boy, that that will kill you. Absolutely. All right, take care of yourself, bud. You're right. Yeah. Have, a, have a nice weekend. SP futures up five. Nasdaq futures up fifty five. Be right back, Mr. John Flanagan. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. 
We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single-family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, North Bay Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Amos. Weber on the board. SP Futures up two bucks. Nasdaq Futures up forty. So we're trying to bounce back from yesterday's losses after many days in a row to the upside. Uh, Dow futures down 19. Most of that has become, uh, cause Chevron Texaco is down three bucks as oil prices are, are down and, uh, also United Health down a dollar 82. I don't know what that's about, but the oil is obviously is what driving Chevron Texaco over in Europe. Uh, down but not much. Uh, DAX down 42 points, point three percent. Putsy down 16.2 percent. Kakaron down 31.5 percent. So, uh, um, Slow, but to the downside a little bit over there. Nikkei down 205.7%, Shanghai down 14.4%, Hang Seng down 235 that's over 1%, but they were up a bunch yesterday. Uh, bonds, 10 year down 432 seconds, 232. Uh, Bund down 830 seconds, 0.57. Japan unchanged, 0.22. Wave review, yesterday Dow was down 65, not much there. SP down 29. The NASDAQ was down 177, that's 1.2%, that was the biggest mover. Oil down 666, but over 100, 101.16. Rent down 619, 107.26. These are 5 and 6% moves. This, this is this is not normal world. Those guys are usually pretty steady. Uh, when I say when, that, when, when wars are not going on and other kinds of things going on. Natural gas down 11 cents, 549. Uh, Arbab down 14 cents, the 318. Uh, gold only down 2 bucks now, 1937. Silver unchanged, 2510. Copper unchanged, 474. We got crypto up $479 now. That's a full 1%. 47,495. Medi-WF4 is Travi Weather Sports. 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning once again to everyone out there. There's a apparently a large pothole that has surfaced on the Bishop Ford inbound side just before 137th Street that has the left lane completely blocked. And IDOT's on the scene putting sandbags in the pothole. Uh, as a short-term fix to try to uh, 
reopen the uh, expressway there. It would there. be a real short-term fix. Yeah, that's just the description I'm reading here. But uh, I like the way you said a, a pothole has surfaced. Yes. I, I don't know. I couldn't think of the other uh, <laughs> <laughs> another adjective to describe it. But, uh, but yeah, so that's blocking the left lane just before 137th Street on the inbound Bishop Ford. That's our only closure that I'm seeing right now, but we are seeing some heavy travel times build due to the rainy conditions uh, on the north side especially. Edens and Kennedy really starting to jam up. Same for... Uh, coming in from the western suburbs on I-290, the Eisenhower there. Southside Expressway is looking okay outside of that Bishop Ford left lane closure. Uh, and we also have a crash on I-80 uh, down near Joliet. This is on the westbound side. Uh, pulling it up here. At Briggs Street, which is exit 134, that has I-80 pretty backed up uh, heading west. Uh, near Joliet, but everything else all quiet out there. Weather today, another just absolutely miserable weather day, like we've grown accustomed to the last. Man, you're from Iowa. Rain makes grain. It's uh, rainy and cold for the last seven days, and it looks like it's going to be rainy and cold for the next seven days, and that's pretty much uh, the extent of the forecast. Was today was today supposed to be opening day for somebody? Uh, tomorrow, opening day for baseball. It's supposed to be today, wasn't it? I think originally, yeah, it was going to be uh, uh, today, and then they pushed it back a week. So now, thankfully, it's April 7th. Uh, but today, rainy with a high of 42, and that just happens to be exactly where we're at right now, rainy with, with and 42 degrees. So we'll stay right here in the low 40s uh, with rain on and off throughout the day, another dreary, cold day in the city. For our Phoenix listeners, a gorgeous uh, last day of March uh, down there. Partly cloudy, high of 82. Right now it's clear and 62. In sports, Bulls have six games left in the regular season, looking to uh, improve their playoff seating. They'll host the Clippers tonight, 7 p.m. Suns beat the Warriors last night, 107 to 103. Suns are your one seed in the Western Conference. In hockey, Blackhawks were off last night. They're down in Florida tonight to take on the Panthers. That's a 6 p.m. Chicago time puck drop. Coyotes beat the Sharks, 5 to 2. Chief, the uh, yeah, we've been in the Sox parking lot. Uh tailgate in the rain today maybe right i've i've done that with you yes uh, and uh, the crew uh, several years back and of course it's always cold and rainy on opening day it seems like uh t- this year would have been no different if it opened today uh but always a good time and it didn't i believe the white Sox didn't they uh, ban tailgating and maybe it has no, to come back or can you do it oh you still do it. i think they banned it maybe it, for, maybe, for it might have been just covid related i don't know i think you had a, you have to at least go into the game okay yeah, I remember reading something yeah. about it where you couldn't do it to the extent that we used to because it used to be pretty fun to tailgate uh, down there. Well, Jan, with the one year uh, we went and uh, Larry's buddies, they used to, the uh, they'd bring the cooker and the whole bit, and uh, well, it, it was steady rain. It wasn't windy or anything. Well, at least for a while, at least one of the guys showed up at one of those little camper things. You know, you put the you know you put the it, it's an open air like tent, right? But at least there's a roof on it. Yeah, sheltered. Yeah, so we so we at least had one of those, and there's eight, ten people can hang under the thing, and it was steady rain. It wasn't like I said, windy coming at you from the sides. These, these guys, three cars down, there were about fifteen, twenty guys there. They stood in the rain for like four hours. <laughs> <laughs> if you drink enough, you really don't feel. The I, rain. I guess, but well, the game didn't start till what it was supposed to be one o'clock. I think it, clo- it started at like five. Yeah. And then we went into the game, and then then it got really cold and windy in the park. I'm sitting there, boy, this game. Thank God it was like Burley pitching or somebody was 
the game went pretty quick, but it, it was what you know it didn't seem bad standing outside. But boy, once you went in the park, it was just the 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 wind was right in your snoot. It was it was bad. Well, uh, well, uh, next week when I'm here, uh, we'll we can preview baseball a little bit. We'll probably have to get Josh Nelson back yeah, on at yeah. some point soon. But just looking at the uh, Vegas over under win totals, the White Sox are projected as the fourth best team in baseball. Um, with a over under ninety one and a half wins, according wow. to Vegas, that's their line. Only behind the Astros and Yankees, who are at ninety two win total over under, and then the Dodgers, far and away the best team, ninety seven and a half. That's is unreal. Their, is their uh, over under win total? The Cubs, all the way down uh, to the bottom uh, tier. The over under for the Cubs, just seventy three wins is the Vegas projection over under. Well, that's brutal, especially um, with their ticket prices. Yeah, and uh, they did make a couple of free agent signings, bringing in the Japanese uh, outfielder and the uh, starting pitcher. But other than that, it's been pretty quiet with uh, relying on some of the young guys that emerged at the end of last season and then a couple more coming up this year. And uh, got a, a, they got, I thought they got a shortstop, too. Uh, yeah, they got like a kind of a journeyman fill-in shortstop, not like a not like a what I would consider an everyday guy. I, I, don't, I don't think that Nico Horner I love the guy as a player. I don't see him as a shortstop. I don't either. I think they're really hoping that they can do Horner at short and Madrigal, the the guy that got in the White Sox trade for Kimbrell, uh, at second because both those guys are real scrappy, fast. That's a know, brutal infield uh, hitters, and and it would be great to have those guys one two in the top of your lineup if they're both, you know, batting uh, around three hundred and and getting on base, and they can both kind of steal bases, and it would be kind of an old school top of the lineup. But defensively, I mean, that could be brutal. Well, I, mean, I think I think Horner's a Borderline elite second baseman. He's a he's a mediocre shortstop. I would agree. And the kid from the Sox, he he's he's a marginal second baseman. But he was a three hundred million. He's a serious hitter. He's a serious hitter, but he has throwing issues yeah. as far as uh, you know making throwing errors. And he made one the other day down in spring training that cost a couple runs. He's not Steve Steve Sachs yet, but he's he's, <laughs> he's working at it. <laughs> that was a uh, that was wild, wasn't it? That guy. Uh, well, there's been a few guys like that in history that you know you hear about the yips in golf where you miss the three foot putt. Uh, there's been a few guys in baseball history that, and for, for whatever reason, it's typically a second baseman. I yeah. know Chuck Knobloch went through it for a long time, and he was an all-star for a long time. Steve Sachs and other. That's because it's an e- it's an easy throw. Yeah, and it, it like got into their head to the point where they they couldn't do it, and then you saw it with John Lester. Where remember he couldn't throw to first base yeah, yeah. to pick a runner off, and so he, he would. Just, I mean. What, that is crazy. You, you're an elite pitcher that can pinpoint a fastball from 60 feet, 6 inches away, throwing, you know, as hard as you can, but you can't lob a ball over the first well, base. Well, I'm sure he could have gone into the windup and got it there okay, but you wouldn't want to be the first baseman. No. I, I just well, who was the, the guy who was the pitcher ended up playing center field uh, for the Cardinals? Rick Ankiel. He was a, yeah. he was another guy. Uh, but he was a but he, he was perfect fi- for the first few years. He couldn't he? all of a sudden he couldn't find the strike zone. Yeah, and uh, he just he would go out there and you know wildly walk everyone. But he had a really strong arm, and he was a good hitter for a pitcher. So they sent him back down to the minors, and then he worked his way back up and made it as a major league outfielder. He had a hell of an arm too. And he, yeah, he played you know seven eight years as an outfielder. <laughs> it's it's bizarre world. It's a uh, I don't know, but I, this, what the sports news lately has been it's it's changing, isn't it, Manny? It's uh, I mean. Uh, this college stuff, would, I'm, I'm stunned with how, how people are going back and forth with, uh, you know, the, the portals and changing back and forth. And graduate students, I mean, they're they're just players. They're not they're, half of them aren't going to grad school. I don't think they're. I mean, they're, they're well, there. there. There's some requirement that they have to do something, but um, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's half-assed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, of course you're, you're not, you don't want to waste grad school, but I mean, you could you could be in a 
at grad school at the University of Chicago. The MBA program, for instance, at the University of Chicago was, uh, John, include yourself in this. I mean, it was 20 courses an hour. I mean, it was a serious deal. Law school is the same way, med school. But if you were in the economic school, hell, I took that course from uh, Milton Friedman, and I'm going to say it was the biggest class I had there. It was they had this one little auditorium in the economic. And there probably were 80 people in it. And we came time for a test, 12 people showed up. And I'm like, what am I doing here? You know, you, you can, you could take a, uh, you could, most of these guys would audit a course first without, for, without a grade. I don't know what you had to pay for that. You had to pay something, but you could audit a course to see whether you think you could do well with it. Then you could, if you wanted to, you could go halfway. And the first test you got, if it was too hard, you could withdraw and get half your money back and not have it count against you. So these guys, every course they took, they were taken like twice. They they were there forever. And Steve Schwartz, who invented the Schwartzatron, uh, uh, an option pricing machine, he was in my class there. The guy had to be, well, at the time I was, you know, 22. Or the guy had to be 35, 40. He was still hacking around over there getting his Ph.D. in it. I mean, it's a whole different. There, there are grad programs and there are grad programs, right, John? Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's a place like the UFC, the Ph.D. program is a lifetime commitment. Yeah, they, yeah. they pretty much tell you when you go into a Ph.D. program, don't think you're ever going to make any money if you complete this thing, let alone what are your chances of completing it you know, in a, in a normal lifetime? Because there, there are people there in their 40s and 50s still dragging along. Well, my, uh, one of my roommate and uh, one of our, our good buddies, who uh, he's the guy, Matty, I told you about, just grad, or grad, not just, but a couple years ago, he retired from NOAA, National Oceanographic, and and he uh, he was one of the guys that would go over the Arctic and the DC eights, looking for the ozone holes and doing oxygen studies all around the world. We're trying to figure out where all the oxygen 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 is coming from. Uh, and he can do stories about Brazil and this and other. Um, he he left Notre Dame. Brilliant guy with like you know a three seven in chemistry or something. He goes to uh, Ohio State for his master's degree. And he's hacking around there for two or three years, and they give you, they're giving him money to teach a class to undergrads, and they're giving him money to do research for some guy. <clears throat> and finally he says, by, by the way, when, when do I get to graduate? <laughs> and they go, what do you want to graduate for? <laughs> we're, we're, we're giving you dough. You, you got another, another, what do they call it? What, what do they call it when you give a grad student money, John? There's a name for Stipend it. Stipend or, you know. It, was a, it, 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 it depends how much work you're doing in return for it, you know, what, how they care. It was some kind of an award. A lot, of, was, a lot of time it was government money or yeah. the professor was doing research, so he got to give, he got to have four lackeys, that kind of thing. There, there was a name There was a name for it, I'll think of it. But, but he, he goes, well, when do I get to graduate? What do you want to do that for? Why would you want to leave? We're, we're in heaven here. <laughs> so he ends up, he, he manages to, to weasel his master's degree out of him. Then he got his Ph.D. from the University of Rhode Island in chemistry, and then he went to work for NOAA. I mean, the guy, the guy knew his stuff, I mean, uh, unbelievably. And uh, But, yeah, there, there's a lot of people who never want to graduate from these grad schools. Why would you? Well, especially if you're if you're cheap labor for the university, too. If you're teaching yeah. sections as a grad assistant, you're, you're getting paid extremely little, and you're taking the, the burden off the university of paying full freight for a tenured professor to teach that class. But they're giving you your hospitalization, probably, if it's a... University of Chicago, they got all the medical stuff right there. They're giving you, probably giving you a place to live, and you're you're hacking around, and everybody's happy. I mean, you're doing your research, and maybe you're writing a book, and someday you'll end up being a professor. Maybe there, you know, would be a you know, you're you're when some professor dies, you're going to move in and grab his spot, right? I mean, uh, if if you're yeah, doing it right, the graduates they're they're unionized now. I mean, the graduate 
faculty, the part-time faculty, now has a, a union. I think it's through um, the, the Teamsters or SEIU. Yeah. It's not, you know, like the AFT or anything, but um, they're, they're, you know, they do have some collective bargaining powers now. What, um, Jan, you were going to talk uh, the stuff that I didn't let you talk about the other day because I got you, I got you, I got you rolling on something. Uh, you're going to talk about some of these these buildings downtown, and I we're just talking to Dan a little bit about you know in in 2000 and uh, you know unfortunately in 2008 the the in my opinion the the mortgage thing was predictable simply because the price of a house had outstripped the ability of most of the population to pay for it. So I'm going to just go through these numbers here real real briefly on the housing side because I want to talk more about the commercial stuff. In in, in those days. In uh, 2008, your median income. Well, the house, a house was uh, the median house was 235. If you have, if somebody gave you the down payment, and the interest rates or the mortgage rates were like six, you needed 85,000 bucks to carry that mortgage, insurance, taxes, all the other stuff that goes with it. So that was the number. 15 percent of the population made more than 85,000. So you, I mean, if you look at the numbers. You knew you had a problem, okay. And then I'll pile on top of that all the the, the stuff from Japan and the, you know the thirty five dollars of leverage and everything. But, but the bottom line was very basic: the housing prices outstripped the ability of most of Americans to pay to live in their own house. And now we were up to uh, the median new home income. Median new home now is four oh two, not two thirty five. Okay, so let's let's cut it back. Let's say three seventy five. All right. So if somebody gives you which is now 50% higher, right, than the house was in 2007. So that would mean, even though the mortgage rates are a little lower, but taxes are probably a little higher, insurance is a little higher, I'm going to say right now that the, that the uh, and this is just off the top of my head, John, and tell me I'm nuts. Maddie, feel free to as well. I'm going to say that if you, if you extrapolate the numbers, how's that for a, t- a word? If you extrapolate the numbers... You now need 150 to 160 to uh, afford the median house, and I'm going to say, and I'm going to say that the percentage of the population that makes 150 to 160 is way less than 15 percent. Boy, I'll say, how much less we can quibble about? Well, you know, you might have two-income families. I mean, but still, now that brings up another mess because if you're two-income families. You're probably paying twenty five grand for somebody to take care of your kids, so that comes off the top, right? So, it, it, it can get more detailed and more complicated. But bottom line is, I'm going to say we're worse than we were in 2007 in terms of uh, citizens being able to afford the current price home. That's not good. Well, it's bad for certainly for future development. I mean, it means that you're going to have a lot of. Uh, appetite for houses that just can't be met, given the, the jobs and the careers that people are suffering through. So that takes you know, a huge toll. I mean, just think about life expectancy, the disappointment that comes from that alone, let alone the, the deferral of other decisions, you know, to have a family or whatever, um, get huge implications for people. Not, not just their happiness, but their long-term financial health. Well, then again, if if everybody's parents waited till they were comfortable enough to have a baby, none of us would be here. That's true. 
my my parents, you know, they were a two-income family for their first year of marriage, and they lived off of, I think, my father's income and bank, my mother's, and they had enough for a down payment and a house, and my brother and I came along and you know, started the ball rolling. But even that was, you know, it wasn't easy to do in 1951. I'm sure they were real happy to get twins. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> there go the dollar signs. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 yeah. But in those days, I mean, well, what was Notre Dame when we went there? It was three thousand bucks. It wasn't yeah. seventy. It was a little different. It was a different world in, in that regard. You know what's funny, Jan? Is is the uh, we're talking with Dan about the, inf- the inflation stuff, and and I know that uh, you know I've been basically bitching about this for as, as long as you can um, because I you know I, I I believe it you know but here today it, none of it registered. No matter how much they raise hospital stuff, no matter how much they did everything. The government had a way around it, and there's a picture today on CNBC. Some guy grabbing the gas, the gas pump thing. You could have sworn he's at a wake with like five of his kids dead or something. I mean, what, what is it about gasoline? Is it because you see the thing right in front of your eyes when you do it? I mean, it, it, no, nobody cares that the price of a of a Jeep now on TV and on the, on the um, NCAA. They're talking about Maddie. What's the Jeep uh, Jill's got? The, the Cherokee? Does she have a Cherokee? She has the Liberty. Right, well, the Cherokee—they they tell you right on TV—it starts at a hundred grand. hundred grand for a friggin' Jeep, really? <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a lot of gas. Just saying, you know. I mean, uh, you know, you're in a hospital for three days and the bill's a hundred grand. That's a lot of gas. I mean, why is it that we fixate on gasoline when it's? Oh, well, you know, so much of our our livelihood and behavior patterns are oriented towards this. You know, I mean, we, we, you were texting, we were emailing back and forth about you know Chicago Ridge Mall. You know, going into a distressed situation, and places like any any mall, you know, you can no matter where they're located, depends on cheap gas to get customers in and out, and to get right. employees in and out, uh, and to get goods in and out. And if you, because they're often located in places that are mainly accessible to interstates or state highways, they're not dependent on public transportation. They weren't designed to be. Um, so. If you, if that's where you consume, you know, goods, if that's where you spend your money, and you got to spend more and more money to get to and from there, well, you, you know what's going to happen. Uh, so it's, our our culture has just you know gravitated in these ways that any kind of rise in gas prices, let alone big ones like we're seeing, create havoc for people's behavior. It, it unsettles them. It, it makes it. It be possible for businesses to continue as they used to. It makes it impossible for people to work at jobs they would have been happy to work at before because it's too expensive to drive to and from them. You name it, and and um, it's it's just it's adding to the the kind of the disruptions and the cataclysms that people always have dealt with. Um, but it's it's ramping it up, and, it, and it's making them make you know some really urgent decisions, which has a, a you know a huge effect overall. Not just the shopping malls, but every place else. I think what you just said—if you put it in uh, more layman's terms, because Jen has this has this master's thing going with loaded master of the language. Yeah, I mean, uh, what you're really saying is people are living on the edge, and when the gas goes from twenty bucks to fill a tank to thirty, they don't have the tent. Yep, and it, and it starts to. I mean, it's not. I mean, I, I joke all the time about our generation uh, a couple generations ago versus today. I mean. You talk about people gaining wealth today. All, all, all you hear is somebody will say, well, geez, you, you buy AMC at 20 and it's 25 and you made some wealth. Or your 401k goes up or something. But, uh, 
But or you bought Apple when it was what, ten bucks, and now it's split, and here it is. Um, you don't hear anybody say, well, "Wait a minute, I make two hundred dollars a week, and we live on one sixty, and we put the forty in the bank." Nope, nobody does. Nobody's capable. Of, I mean, there are people that make a real lot of money, but on the high end, that, that save a lot of it because simply because they can't spend it all. But by bottom line, I don't think the blue collar people are, are, are saving twenty percent of their of their paycheck. Oh, like like used know. to be the our parents did that. That was almost the norm. Right, you put twenty percent in the bank. So in those days, if the gas went up two bucks a week, and you were throwing forty in the in the in, in the bank, okay, now you're putting thirty eight. It wasn't like you had to drop on something else, right? It was uh, but you, real quick, you only got a couple of minutes. What have you What have you learned about what happens when you know the one seventy five West Jackson, another couple of buildings downtown? What happens if the Chicago Ridge Mall just just punts the mortgage right back at somebody? What, does somebody try and sell it? They close it? Do they? Do they? What, what do you do? Well, when you have properties like 175 West Jackson or 135 South LaSalle or 20 North Wacker, all of which are in distress situations and have at least one missed mortgage payment or several, there's there's not very many options for the long term health of the building itself or the surrounding areas because you can't really. As a lender, once you take possession of that, and that's what's happening now with deeds in lieu of foreclosure, it cuts out the lengthy and expensive foreclosure process, and it gets the lender in possession of the property right away. But what can the lender do with it? I mean, they may have a brokerage arm where they can list the property and market it, but who are they going to market a building to that couldn't perform, you know, or just barely performed even in good times? And now you've got a dearth of tenants or other major anchor tenants that have built their own headquarters, like Bank of America did, and fled 135 South LaSalle and left more than 50% of the space of the building vacant. Where, where are you ever going to make that up, no matter who owns the building? So I, I see these buildings turning into white elephants. They, they could have been repurposed as residential spaces, and the smaller ones were and still are, but, but that isn't as attractive a prospect as it once was because the Loop is not an attractive place right now to live or work. Um, so I think, you know, you're going to have lenders that are going to take hits in that they can't, I mean, so what if they're in, in possession of a building that they used to have a loan on? The last thing a lender wants is to own yeah. real estate. That well, John, let's continue this, on, uh, continue this on Monday, bud, because I think it's going to be a, a story that gains some legs, unfortunately. Yep. Uh, SP Futures up a whole buck and a half, NASDAQ Futures up 38. A little bit of a pause here this morning. Maybe we could use one. Uh, be back tomorrow, Stacks and Jacks. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.